In Jesus' name, amen. We all need a wake-up call sometimes in life, don't we? Uh, I'm sure you've had them, moments that shake you out of your slumber. Uh, sometimes all we need is a little nudge, right? A little shake on the shoulder because we've dozed off. Sometimes, maybe you've been here, I know I have, I've, I've needed that air horn right next to my ear to get me awake because I've been asleep for so long or so deeply. I can remember one particular wake-up call that I've had in my life. It happened in December 2007. I was sitting in a, a gymnasium at Concordia University. It was my college graduation. And it was a day of excitement, a day of joy, uh, a day I was proud of. Uh, but in many ways, it was also a wake-up call. <laughs> because I was ending one time in my life, one period, and, and starting something new. But I hadn't figured out what that was. Uh, I had a degree in history, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I had thought about it, of, of course, but not enough. <laughs> and uh, it hit me as I was sitting there that next week I wasn't going to have class to go to. I was no longer going to be a student, and I, I needed to figure it out. It, it was a wake-up call of sorts. And, and again, I'm sure you've had them too. Right? Sometimes wake-up calls, sometimes they come in the form, sadly, of a death of someone we love. When that person is taken from us, it, it wakes us up. Maybe it reminds us of what's important or who's important to us. Uh, sometimes it comes in the, the form of a birth of a child, right? Uh, you've had certain values in your life, but now that the child is coming, you, you realize uh, what's really important. Uh, sometimes it comes maybe in the form of a loss of a job that can shake us awake. We've been kind of coasting in our career, taking it for granted, and then the job is taken from us, and suddenly we're awakened to, to how we've been working. Uh, it might come in the form of a friend who walks away from us. Uh, they let us know pretty clearly that we haven't been a good friend, and they just can't keep investing in us, and so they're going to they're gonna step away, and that can be a wake-up call. Uh, maybe it's a financial wake-up call having to file for bankruptcy, or just getting the credit card statement in the bill, right? You think you've, you've been spending one way, you've got things under control, and then, and then the credit card statement comes and you see, oh my goodness, my spending is just totally out of whack. It's, it's a wake-up call. They come in many different forms, but we need them. We need them, don't we? And the thing about wake-up calls is they're never easy. <laughs> I'm a morning person, and I love my life, so I'm, I'm excited to live each day, but very rarely do I hear that alarm go off at 5.30 and 5.30 in the morning and just wake up shouting, yes, I'm, I'm glad to be alive, right? It's usually uh, at least a little bit of a struggle and some days more than others. And I, I say this to all of you because the book of Jonah that we're focusing on today is a wake-up call. <laughs> I encourage you to go read the whole thing. And, and there's a lot of beauty in, in Jonah. Uh, on the one hand, it's a story that highlights for us and tells the, the story of God's amazing love and grace, uh, a forgiveness and a, an acceptance that knows no bounds, that has no limits, right? But that is there for all those who turn to him. On the one hand, we get this beautiful picture of, of God's heart. But on the other hand, as, as we look at the person of Jonah, it, it is meant to awaken us. You know, I think sometimes the hardest wake-up uh, calls, the harshest wake-up calls, the, the most obnoxious wake-up calls in, in life come in the form of the mirror. <laughs> Right? You, can, you can be kind of falling asleep in, in a sense, thinking one thing about yourself or how you look or your health, and then you look in the mirror and it doesn't lie and, and you're awakened to how things truly are. And that's harsh. And that's what we get in the story of Jonah. We are meant to look at the person of Jonah as if we are looking in the mirror, as if we are looking at ourselves. See, Jonah is, is anything but a good example for us. 
right? He, he is a character whose pride and selfishness and small-mindedness, self-centeredness are all highlighted. And, and we're meant to look at him and his life and, and what's important to him and how he thinks God's work. And, and it's meant to be like a, a mirror into our lives. We're meant to be awakened to how we might have the same attitudes and beliefs and ways of thinking and speaking and living. And, and so I say this to say today is a wake-up call, and that, that can be hard. It will be harsh. It might not be easy. But I, I pray that as we read the story of Jonah, as we talk about it together, that, that you wouldn't just hit snooze, that you wouldn't roll over and go back to sleep, but that you would let the story of Jonah, God's word here, go into your ears and into your hearts so that you might be changed and renewed because we all need a wake-up call as hard as it is. And today, God has given us one. Uh, but let's jump in. Let's jump into the story of Jonah. Uh, let me just read for you the opening words of Jonah. Now, uh, important to remember, Jonah is a prophet. Uh, we have this whole book about Jonah. Uh, we, we are told one other time in the Old Testament, only one other time he is referred to, and we're told that he is a prophet. He speaks for God. Uh, we, we sometimes think of prophets as, as people who uh, predict the future, right? And sometimes prophets do that through God's word, but more often than not, they're just like spokesmen. They're just there kind of passing along the message. God tells them something, and he wants them to tell the rest of the people. And so that's Jonah's job. He's a prophet. Uh, that's his calling. So this is how the, the book that bears his name begins. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, again, uh, the book starts with God basically saying, get to work. You're a prophet, and uh, I, I want you to prophesy. And I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, a couple things you might want to know about Nineveh, if you don't already. Uh, Nineveh, uh, it, it's referred to as this, this wicked place, right, known for its wickedness. And uh, I think that's an understatement, to say the least. Uh, Nineveh, in many ways, stood for everything that God and his people Israel were not. Right? Nineveh was a symbol for the enemy. Uh, if, if, if you might know this, that Nineveh was the, the capital city of a nation called Assyria. And if you know anything about Assyria from the Bible, it's, it's probably that it was Assyria that would eventually conquer and defeat, totally beat down the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten northern tribes. Right? It was God that would work through Nineveh to bring judgment to the people of Israel. And so in many ways, uh, Nineveh was like the enemy. Of, of Israel. And they were known for their wickedness. And, and again, that's an understatement. I mean, one of the things that Nineveh was known for and the Assyrians were known for was, was after they had defeated their enemies in battle, they would skin the leaders alive. And then they would take those skins of the, of the leaders and they would hang them on the walls of their city as kind of like a warning. Don't mess with us. We're some bad dudes here. Stay, stay away. I mean, these were evil, wicked people to the core. But God says, Jonah, my prophet, time to get to work. I want you to go to that city and tell them how bad they are. Uh, not an easy job he's given them, but that's the job that he's given. Uh, let's go on, just one more verse. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah hears this call and uh, very obviously he wants nothing to do with it. Now, uh, I wish I had a map to show you here, but uh, you, you can picture it like this. Nineveh was on the, the far eastern side of the known world for Jonah. He was probably aware that there were things further east than that, but for all purposes, that was about as east as it went. 
uh, as far west as it went was Tarshish. Tarshish was in Spain. It was on like on the edge of the world, right? Uh, think about it. They hadn't crossed the sea. They hadn't found North America. So, uh, so Spain and Tarshish was about as far west as you could go. They were on the opposite sides of the world, right? And so when Jonah decides to, to go to Tarshish, it's, it's like you and I saying, I'm, I'm going to head off for Siberia or, or Timbuktu, right? The middle of nowhere, as far away from home uh, as you can get. Uh, Jonah is trying to do everything he can to avoid this call. He does not want to go to Nineveh. And uh, if you're wondering why, right, you, you might be guessing that he's scared which I think we would all agree is natural. <laughs> we would probably be scared too, right? I mean, think about it. God is asking Jonah to head to enemy territory where these people are known for skinning the enemy and hanging the skins on wall. And God just wants him to prance into the city and tell them how evil they are and, and expect to, to be okay, right? If, if I were Jonah, I'll be honest, I would be terrified. I, I might do the same thing out of fear. But here's the thing about Jonah. He doesn't run away to Tarshish, to the opposite side of the world, in order or, or because he's scared of Nineveh and God's call there. No, he runs away because he's angry at God's call to go there. Uh, we, we know this by uh, Jonah's prayer at the end of the book. So let me just share this with you. And again, it speaks to how angry Jonah is about what God has asked him to do. This is what uh, Jonah prays to God at the end of the story. He says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah knows how good and kind and gracious and compassionate God is. And he knows that if he goes to Nineveh, this wicked city, the enemy, he knows that if he goes there, there's a chance that the people might listen to him and they might repent and that God might show them grace because that's the kind of God he is. And, and that is the last thing in the world that Jonah wants. It is just unthinkable, unbearable for him to think about those people receiving mercy. He wants to see them punished, right? He wants to see them skinned alive. And, and the very thought of God having grace for them, it's too much. In fact, we, we heard it. He says he would rather die than to see that play out and happen. He's angry at God, that, that God would even consider turning these people around and showing them grace. I think it's not that Jonah doesn't want a gracious God. I think we all want a gracious God for us. We want God to show us grace and mercy. And we probably want him to show grace and mercy to the people we love or the people who are like us. But, but here's the thing about God's grace. Uh, God's grace knows no bounds. It has no limits. It is truly for all people. But what we're reminded of in Jonah is that very often our grace does have limits. It does have boundaries. We have built up walls around it. it it's not that we're scandalized that we have a gracious God. We're scandalized by who that grace is for. So here's where we begin to, to hear the wake-up call. I pray that we would let God hold up this mirror to our lives and, and to seriously consider who we might be running from, right? Who is it in our lives that God is calling us to, to go above and beyond for? Who is it that God has placed in our lives that he wants us to show love and kindness and compassion to? Who is it that he wants us to forgive? 
Right? Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's someone in your own family. It often is who has hurt you deeply. And you just can't let go of it. And the thought of forgiving them and moving on from it just seems, it seems impossible to you. Uh, this past week, uh, many of us, we, we were living through this election, right? And it's so divisive in our country today. And, and I don't know about you, but, but many of us, we were turned into the news all week. And, and, and maybe as you watched the news and you heard someone from the opposite side of the aisle, right? From the opposing party talk, maybe your blood just started to boil a little bit. And you thought to yourself, they are so ignorant. They are clueless. They are wrong, right? Who are those kinds of people in, in your life? that you find it so hard to love completely? Who are those people that, that you avoid? You see, the truth is, uh, some of you might be thinking to yourself, you know, uh, Peter, uh, there is just no one in my life that I consider my enemy. I don't look around and see a bunch of enemies. I'm not walking around cursing people under my breath, right? I'm not always filled with this rage at certain people. And, and that might be true. But what I think is also true, if we are honest, if we, if we, if we look in the mirror, with total clarity, I, I think what we would see for each of us is that there are people that are hard to pray for. Th there are people in our lives that we do avoid, uh, maybe because we think they're irredeemable, uh, maybe because we think, you know, if I give them an inch, they're going to ask for a mile. If I, if I try to, to, to give up five minutes for them, they're, they're going to take three hours of my time. Right? There are people in each of our lives that God is calling us to go to, to love, to show kindness and compassion and merciful to. And and there are times where we avoid that call. Uh, let, me, let me share with you uh, a story that will tell you just how smart I am. <laughs> uh, when I was in high school, uh, when I finally got my license and so did a few of my friends, and some of us started uh, to have cars that we had access to to get to school, uh, we, we started to be able to leave campus during lunch to, to go get something to eat. And so one of the places we always went was a mall nearby, Randhurst Mall, and they had an indoor food court there, lots of different options. And uh, one of the things that we would occasionally do is, is a game, but I think also to show how macho we were, is, is we would try to run up the downward escalator. I'm not sure what the point was or how the game worked, trying to see how long we could do it or how far up the escalator we could go, but we would try to run up the downward escalator, I told you. So smart, aren't I? And uh, uh, here's the thing about it. You might be thinking to yourself, that's crazy. And you're right. Uh, you might also be thinking to yourself, that sounds impossible. You can't go up a downward escalator. But that's where you're wrong. You actually can. I, I, I've done it. It's not easy. It's exhausting. It's tiring. And eventually you end up back at the bottom where the escalator was trying to take you. But you, you can fight it, at least for a while. And, and Jonah shows us that, right? He was able to, to go against the flow. God was trying to bring him, call him in one direction, but, but Jonah was going up that downward escalator. He was running from God. God wants him to go to Nineveh. He heads in the opposite direction. But you can do it for a while, but you can't do it forever. Eventually, God will get you where he wants you to go. And in the story of Noah, or Jonah, he, he gets on a boat in Joppa. He heads out to sea, but then there's a storm. And then he gets thrown overboard because the sailors of the boat that he's on recognize that he's causing the storm. It's all his fault. And, and then Jonah ends up inside the belly of the whale. Right? Things don't go well for him. It's not a good idea to try to go up a downward escalator. It's not a good idea to run from God. And, and that's a lesson that by the end of the story, Jonah never understands. But there is another way. Rather than running from God, the story of Jonah reminds us that a much better way 
a much better thing to do is to repent to God. And again, that's something Jonah never does. Uh, but repentance is seen in some surprising characters, right? Uh, the unthinkable happens. It's actually the Ninevites, all the people of the city, even their king. In fact, we're told in, in the book of Jonah that even the, the cow is the livestock of the city. They put on sackcloth and ashes and they repent, right? That the most unlikely, unpredictable of characters are the ones who are turning to God. And that's the way to live. It's not a good idea to run from God, although you can do it for a time. A much better way to live is to live a life of repentance, turning to him. That's what the people of Nineveh did, and, and God had mercy upon them, just like Jonah was afraid would happen. But, but that only speaks to highlight God's amazing love and in grace. Even these wicked people who had skinned their enemies and hung them on their walls, the, the, the very epitome of everything that Israel and, and Israel's God was not God, that God welcomes them back. He shows them mercy. He has compassion they, after they repented. And brothers and sisters, we are called to do the same. Let's stop are running from those people in our lives. And I don't know who it is from you that God is calling us to to love. The difficult people, the people who have hurt us, the people who take our time, the, the people that, that just might be awkward to interact with. Let's stop our running and let's start repenting. Let's turn to God. And when we do, what we will see, like the Ninevites, is a God of unending grace and mercy when we turn to God, what we'll see is his son Jesus who stretched out his arms to welcome in not just some people, not just good people, but, but all people, even, even the worst of people. When we repent, when we turn to God, what we'll see is love like we've never seen it before. The love of the cross, the love of Jesus, the love that is for you. The love that he calls us and sends us out to share with the entire world. Dear friends, I pray that we would receive this wake-up call, that we would take a look in the mirror, that we would stop running and start repenting, and that as we do, we would see God's amazing, unending love, because it's there, and it's for you. In Jesus' name.